section eighty nine of canada south america central america mexico and the west indies this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the world's story volume eleven canada south america central america mexico and the west indies edited by eva march tappan section eighty nine a real patagonian about eighteen eighty by lady florence dixie we had not gone far when we saw a rider coming slowly toward us and in a few minutes we found ourselves in the presence of a real patagonian indian we reined in our horses when he got close to us to have a good look at him and he doing the same for a few minutes we stared at him to our heart's content receiving in return as minute and careful a scrutiny from him whatever he may have thought of us we thought him a singularly unprepossessing object and for the sake of his race we hoped an unfavourable specimen of it his dirty brown face of which the principal feature was a pair of sharp black eyes was half hidden by tangled masses of unkempt hair held together by a handkerchief tied over his forehead and his burly body was enveloped in a greasy guanaco capa considerably the worse for wear his feet were bare but one of his heels was armed with a little wooden spur of curious and ingenious handiwork having completed his survey of our persons and exchanged a few guttural grunts with gregorio of which the purport was that he had lost some horses and was on their search he galloped away and glad to find some virtue in him we were able to admire the easy grace with which he sat his well-bred looking little horse which though considerably below his weight was doubtless able to do its master good service continuing our way we presently observed several mounted indians sitting motionless on their horses like sentries on the summit of a tall ridge ahead of us evidently watching our movements at our approach they disappeared over the ridge on the other side of which lay their camping-ground cantering forward we soon came in sight of the entire indian camp which was pitched in a broad valley plain flanked on either side by steep bluffs and with a little stream flowing down its centre there were about a dozen big hide tents in front of which stood crowds of men and women watching our approach with lazy curiosity numbers of little children were disporting themselves in the stream which we had to ford in order to get to the tents two indians more inquisitive than their brethren came out to meet us both mounted on the same horse and saluted us with much grinning and jabbering on our arrival in the camp we were soon encircled by a curious crowd some of whose number gazed at us with stolid gravity whilst others laughed and gesticulated as they discussed our appearance in their harsh guttural language with a vivacious manner which was quite at variance with the received traditions of the solemn bent of the indian mind our accoutrements and clothes seemed to excite great interest my riding-boots in particular being objects of attentive examination and apparently of much serious speculation at first they were content to observe them from a distance but presently a little boy was delegated by the elders to advance and give them a closer inspection this he proceeded to do coming toward me with great caution and when near enough he stretched out his hand and touched the boots gently with the tips of his fingers this exploit was greeted with roars of laughter and ejaculations and emboldened by his success many now ventured to follow his example some enterprising spirits extending their researches to the texture of my ulster 
and one even going so far as to take my hand in his while subjecting a little bracelet i wore to a profound and exhaustive scrutiny whilst they were thus occupied i had leisure to observe their general appearance i was not struck so much by their height as by their extraordinary development of chest and muscle as regards their stature i do not think the average height of the men exceeded six feet and as my husband stands six feet two inches i had a favourable opportunity for forming an accurate estimate one or two there were certainly who towered far above him but these were exceptions the women were mostly of the ordinary height though i noticed one who must have been quite six feet if not more the features of the pure-bred tahuelche are extremely regular and by no means unpleasant to look at the nose is generally aquiline the mouth well shaped and beautified by the whitest of teeth the expression of the eye is intelligent and the form of the whole head affords a favourable index to their mental capabilities these remarks do not apply to the tahuelches in whose veins there is a mixture of araucanian or fuegian blood the flat noses oblique eyes and badly proportioned figures of the latter make them most repulsive objects and they are as different from a pure-bred tahuelche in every respect as wheel of fortune from an ordinary cart-horse their hair is long and coarse and is worn parted in the middle being prevented from falling over their faces by means of a handkerchief or fillet of some kind tied round the forehead they have naturally little hair on the face and such growth as may appear is carefully eradicated a painful operation which many extend even to their eyebrows their dress is simple and consists of a chiripa a piece of cloth round the loins and the indispensable guanaco capa which is hung loosely over the shoulders and held round the body by the hand though it would obviously seem more convenient to have it secured round the waist with a belt of some kind their horse-hide boots are only worn for reasons of economy when hunting the women dress like the men except as regards the chiripa instead of which they wear a loose kind of gown beneath the capa which they fasten at the neck with a silver brooch or pin the children are allowed to run about naked till they are five or six years old and are then dressed like their elders partly for ornament partly also as a means of protection against the wind a great many indians paint their faces their favourite colour as far as i could see being red though one or two i observe had given the preference to a mixture of that colour with black a very diabolical appearance being the result of this combination the tehoches are a race that is fast approaching extinction and even at present it scarcely numbers eight hundred souls they lead a rambling nomadic existence shifting their camping places from one region to another whenever the game in their vicinity gets shy or scarce it is fortunate for them that the immense numbers of guanaco and ostriches makes it an easy matter for them to find subsistence as they are extremely lazy and plentiful as game is around them often pass two or three days without food rather than incur the very slight exertion attendant on a day's hunting but it is only the men who are cursed or blessed with this indolent spirit the women are indefatigably industrious all the work of tahuelche existence is done by them except hunting when not employed in ordinary household work they busy themselves in making guanaco coppas weaving gay-coloured garters and fillets for the hair working silver ornaments and so forth not one of their least arduous tasks is that of collecting firewood which always a scarce article becomes doubly hard to find except by going great distances when they camp long in one place but though treated thus unfairly as regards the division of labour the women can by no means complain of want of devotion to them on the part of the men 
marriages are matters of great solemnity with them and the tie is strictly kept husband and wife show great affection for each other and both agree in extravagant love of their offspring which they pet and spoil to their heart's content the most prominent characteristic of the tahawal che is his easy-going good-humour for whereas most aboriginal races incline to silence and saturnine gravity he is all smiles and chatter the other good qualities of the race are fast disappearing under the influence of aguardiente footnote an intoxicating liquor end of footnote to the use of which they are getting more and more addicted and soon it is to be feared they will become nothing more than a pack of impoverished dirty thieving ragamuffins after having sat for some time on horseback in the centre of the numerous circle above referred to we dismounted the act causing fresh animation and merriment in our interviewers whose interest in us after a thorough examination had begun to flag somewhat an object which greatly excited their feelings was a rifle belonging to my brother and their delight knew no bounds when he dismounted and fired it off for their edification once or twice at a distant mark at each discharge they set up a lusty howl of satisfaction and nothing would do for them but for each to be allowed to handle the weapon and inspect its mechanism there was a trader in the camp who had arrived about the same time as we did and amongst other wares he had brought a rusty carbine with him for sale he was called upon by the indians to produce it and fire it off to compare its qualities with those of my brother's rifle this he proceeded to do but seven times in succession the cartridges missed fire each time this happened he was greeted with shouts of derisive laughter and it was evident that both he and his weapon were the objects of most disparaging remarks on the part of the tahuaches one of them a man of some humour brought out a small piece of ostrich meat and offered it to the trader in exchange for his carbine saying in broken spanish your gun never kill piece of meat as big as this your gun good to kill dead guanaco at which witticism there was renewed and prolonged applause as the newspapers say End of section eighty nine. This recording is in the public domain.